Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up on today's show, first, I've got Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. It's been more than 30 years since the release of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and now they're back with Bill and Ted Face the Music. Find out why they decided to make a third movie, what they remember most about making the original, and if they have any plans for a fourth. And Reeves is also talking about shooting Matrix 4 and what it's like filming during a pandemic. And then later, Tandy Newton. She's up for an Emmy for her work on Westworld. And let me tell you, she's not holding back on what it's like being a 47-year-old black woman in Hollywood. It is a packed show today, so stick around. I have Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter coming up after the break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here are Bill and Ted Face the Music stars, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Hey, guys. Hello. How are you? (coughs) Good. Great movie. Great, perfect Friday night movie. My husband and I on the couch just laughing. It's ridiculous fun. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That was the idea, thankfully. (laughs) So... This movie has been in the works for a few years. What made you stick with it? Why was it so important to finally get another Bill and Ted movie, Alex? You know, we we never intended to make a third. Uh, we never felt the world particularly needed a third. Um, but when we were pitched this idea by Chris Matheson and Ned Solomon some years ago, we really did love the idea. It really, it made us laugh and it warmed our hearts. It, it felt both playable, like from an acting standpoint, uh, because they weren't trying to kind of jam us back into a, an old box, but it also seemed funny. It seemed like a funny <laughs> idea, you know? Uh, it made us laugh. And uh, so once the guys really got started on writing a script, it, it, it was something that we wanted to keep working on. But also, frankly, I think the fans... Um, they were so vocal in, the, in their, once they caught wind of the fact we were trying to make it, they were so vocal in, in their desire for a third that that certainly impacted, I think, our, our, our perseverance. And I think we have, we have to mention Scott Koop as well, who is the producer on, on uh, Excellent Adventure. You know, he really was the kind of, with them taking the writers, having the, the idea and the, and the, will to to do it and the energy to do it scott really kind of like he was like the flame keeper he like <laughs> kept the villains at flame from the rain and he carried it to other people and he showed them the fire and then and then the next person who was helping with the keeper of the flame was the director dean paraso and you know he was involved with the film for over five years and you know it's a dean and Scott with the flame, you know, and this flame blew the embers, which became a fire. And then Alex Lebovici came on board as uh, one of the financiers. And, and then the flame, the tinder became a fire. And so it began to, you know, all of us kind of having a feast around this fire. And, and it's really cool to hear that, you know, you and your partner, you know, on a Friday night, watched Bill and Ted movie and just, you know, laughed. And, you know, that's so cool. Yeah. And why does the world need Bill and Ted right now? The movie just, you couldn't have planned it any better. It just seems like the world needs saving and 
it's perfect yeah, timing. I mean, it's really listen. I wouldn't wish or hope for any kind of circumstance like this for anything, you know. Um, but uh, but here we are, and um, hopefully, you know. I mean, Alex, you speak to this. Just you know what what a film and comedy and what 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 it can bring. So, Alex, take me back to the first movie. You're on the set of the first movie. Could you imagine 30 years later, you're sitting in a something called Zoom, <laughs> which is only something you think maybe the writers of Bill and Ted would think of. Yeah. And here you are. Did you ever in your wildest imagination 30 years ago think you'd be here? No, not even 20. And like for a lot of the last 10 years, it didn't look like this movie was going to happen. So... Uh, look, we're really grateful that we got to make it. It was a, took a lot of work. It took a lot of people, a lot of hands on deck to get it done. Uh, it's been a very challenging time to release a film, a summer movie. Uh, it is not ideal for us or for the public or for the idea of comedy and cinema. Um, you know, the the perfect environment would be a bunch of people in a theater and hopefully laughing and enjoying it together. Uh, but we're really grateful that we are releasing and we're releasing now. And we're really grateful that our studio was supportive of a rollout plan that included VOD as well as theatrical. So people can see the movie however they feel safe. And we're really proud of the movie. You know, we all worked really hard to, to make something that we felt had creative integrity and had a reason for being. So hopefully <laughs> it will put a smile on people's faces. Yeah, no, take me back to the first movie. What's the first thing you think about? What's the one sort of experience from that first movie that you just sticks out in your head? Oh, gosh, there's so much. But I think during filming was just how much I laughed, how much Alex and I would laugh. Like, laugh like you can't, like, crazy. <laughs> just laughter. Um, yeah, just laugh, laugh, laugh. Laugh. I, I know this might sound weird, but I forgot how like sort of family friendly the movie is. I don't yeah. know why. Like I was remembering it like like a stoner movie that might not be right for the whole family, but it's completely like kids. They may not get certain levels of it, but everyone's gonna love it. Yeah, we're not. You know, we're not stoners. We're not surfers. Uh, we really are like, we're very childlike, Bill and Ted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that seems to be, I think, why little kids still like the movies. I mean, our fan base now, if, you know, when people come up to me on the street these days, a lot of times it's, it's with really little kids. And uh, I love, and I love that, you know, I, I think that's great. And it, it's, you know, it's not like it wasn't intentional in a way, but uh I think that Keanu and I both always saw these kids, these characters as having a, a kind of a, a childlike view of the world or a, an innocent view of the world, but not in a caricaturish way, ideally. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they are real people, but, and we, you know, we've known people like that. We all, we've all known people like that. So it tends to be what we draw on. But, we, but the film is also, the guys, Chris and Ed, the writers, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, did set out to make a film with this one that, very much included family and was about family and community. And so it drives much more in that direction too. And Keanu, what did you think when you heard the song that saves the world? That's a lot of pressure, as we know, you got to do it in 77 no, minutes. I, I definitely, I mean, I knew from the, everyone knew from the beginning, it had the like, oh, it's the song pressure. 
<laughs> and um, I didn't, uh, you know, Dean Pariseau comes from a musical background. Um, and so I knew that we were in good hands with that. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess I could speak about this, but like, you know, when we had to, we, we didn't have the song when we were filming. So Dean played Oblah Di Oblah Da by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so that had, you know, because for, for, for um, Dean, it was like, I know 113 beats per minute would be good. And Oblah Di Oblah Da is 100 and it's a feel good wow. song. And so for night nights, we would just listen, rock out to Oblah Di Oblah Da. Um, <laughs> And it's amazing how you you can listen to that song a whole bunch and not get tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> when when did you get to hear the song for the first time? I didn't really hear until early, um, kind of later cuts of the film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, it was all the way. It was uh, yeah over the course of this summer we came together. Well, the song the song makes sense. It was really like I said, my husband and I were just sitting there, we just laughing, like we just kept looking at each other. And just laughing. Like, that's what you just do. You don't talk. You just look at each other and be like, did that just, yeah, that just happened. <laughs> and you brought back George Carlin, which was so great to say. How important was that? That, you know, it wasn't someone playing him. It was, you know, you repurposed this film of him. Yeah, very important. You know, that they were, I mean, that was something that we discussed even at the very first meeting we had with the guys years ago when they pitched us the idea. Uh, and this notion again of family and of mortality and, you know, sort of the, the notion, the idea they had of just dealing with Rufus as someone who would have, you know, his own mortality, uh, we thought was actually a beautiful way of handling that character, Mm -hmm. not being in this film rather than trying to make up some kind of weird excuse. Um, and then having it be his daughter and naming it after George's actual daughter, Mm -hmm. Kelly, uh, and, you know, there was a moment where there were scenes in, in early drafts where we spent more time talking to Rufus and none of us really wanted to risk a kind of uncanny valley effect. And, and we just wanted it to be respectful and minimal. And Keanu, I have to ask you, what is it like shooting Matrix in this time? How do you go to set, feel comfortable and safe? Um, I'm here in Berlin and, uh, pro- everybody who's working on the production has worked really, uh, thoroughly and in concert with the local government and industries and the Babelsberg studios. So the, you know, the protocols are in place. Um, they, they're effective and, um, everyone, the process of filmmaking, um, has felt normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I'm really grateful for and knock on wood, everybody's been okay. And we're, we're about uh, three weeks in and, uh, Lana Wachowski, the writer and director has, uh, come up with a beautiful, beautiful story. And it's, uh, it's really thrilling to be making a matrix. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, my husband, I'm going to keep bringing up my husband, but matrix is his absolute favorite movie. We did it right the start of quarantine. We did a binge one Saturday, watched them all. Um, so Lily recently talked about it being an allegory for people who are transgender. Did you know that? Or did you know that from Matrix One? Um, I, it, no, I mean, that wasn't, uh, that idea wasn't introduced to me um, when we started produ- for production on the film. 
Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, so yeah, Lily never shared that with me. Were you surprised when she shared it? Yeah, I haven't seen her interview or anything or, mm. or read what she's spoken about on it. And now, yes, of course, we have to talk. I miss her not being here, but, uh, but I, you know, I get it as well. Um, cyberpunk, everyone is so excited. How did you get involved with that? How did that happen? Um, yeah, it was an invitation from CD Projekt Red, um, and they they pitched the idea and showed me some assets, and um, it seemed like a cool character, and, and you know, they're definitely quality um, in the gaming world, and uh, it was a great experience working with them, and I'm really excited. I, I hear it's still September, but I don't know. I haven't. I don't. I don't have the latest word, <laughs> but. Um, it's a cool, it's a cool game, and what I've seen from it, it's it's pretty extraordinary. I'm excited. Now I have to ask both of you: When are we seeing the fourth Bill and Ted? <laughs> and don't tell us like ten years from now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we probably have. Sorry, go ahead, Al. I was going to say, let's see what people think on the 28th, right? <laughs> what do you think, Keanu? The fourth one. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with Alex, you know, we can't really have that conversation unless people enjoy this, you know, this film. I mean, I love the characters. I love working with Alex. So, and I think it's up to the writers too, right? They got us here. Um, and call me crazy, but I think one day when Broadway reopens, Bill and Ted on Broadway. That is yeah. a perfect, perfect show for Broadway and families, right? Bill and Ted on the boards. <laughs> <laughs> Save the boards. <laughs> yeah. Lots of tap dancing, I hope. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. This was awesome. Like I said, it was really a treat. You know, just it was worth the wait. Um, Great. It's just, it's just, you know, you're making the world a better, more fun place, which I think everyone needs right now. Thank you so much. Thank you. We really appreciate that. And take care and stay safe and be well. Thank you. You too. That was Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Bill and Ted Face the Music will be available on VOD and in select theaters on Friday, August 28th. Now we're going to take a short break, but when we return, Tandy Newton. I promise you really want to stick around to hear what Newton says about, well, so many things. I'll be right back. Lancaster, South Carolina is in the middle of not much. But growing up nearby, I knew it as the hometown of a black man named Jim Duncan, who became a Super Bowl hero. Duncan, up to the 15, the Now my new podcast, Return Man, I'll discover that his death still makes no sense at all. The story was that my brother went into the police station, took a gun off a police officer, and shot himself in the head. Most people don't believe that. For the past three years at the Rock Hill Herald, I've looked back at a story that's timelier than ever. Breaking news. Don't shoot! Have you got some time to talk? It involves race, the mental state of the person, and a town that was scared to death to say anything. Listen to Return Man on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you took away the date and time, could you imagine that happening today? Yes, you can. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. 
Tani Newton goes into the 2020 Emmys as a nominee for her work as Maeve on the HBO hit series Westworld. She's also one of Hollywood's most outspoken and honest actors out there. I caught up with Newton from her home in London, where her husband even popped in for the chat, when Newton decided to tell me about the family dog and the pooch's fondness for a particular plush Disney toy. I promise you're going to want to hear all of this. How are you, doll? I'm good. How are you? Oh, God. I don't know. Yeah. It's that weird thing of it's almost a choice to be feeling shitty or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I just found out about Jacob Blake, this African-American guy who was shot in Wisconsin mm-hmm. seven times in the back. And mm-hmm. I was just, my husband told me because he was like, you, you're going to hear about this. So I just want you to know just so that, you know. I'm just like weeping and and it's that strange thing of if you don't read, if you don't turn on your computer, or in this case, my husband, you don't know. And it's just, I've always been a bit like that. Though. Sorry to, I, I'm sure you. No, 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 no. I, mean, I feel like I, I've always been someone who looks for, because I know it's there. I guess because I went through a time of being in a, abused in a shrouded situation for mm-hmm. years that I have this, as a result, I look for things that I know are there, obviously in a structured way as an activist, because mm. you know there's shit that's being hidden. Mm-hmm. You've got to get it out. And so it's just that thing of we have to stay open to all of this stuff all the time. And, you know, I read somewhere that Michelle Obama said that for the last six months she's had low depression. It's like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah, but that- it's amazing. Like what you said, like if you don't turn your computer on or other people in the house aren't, especially because especially now you're not outside talking to anyone. So you're Listen just sitting at home. Yeah, and it's just every day we're op- you're opening your every computer, day. you're on your phone. But is it is it that more is going more is happening or just people are seeking it out? confront things i think it's i think it's actually that you know I think, forced to. But I, then i looked at your instagram page and i saw your little goliath who you were working at in the park with i was like <laughs> it's hard to stay sad really <laughs> oh, and i love i love how you cut off him or hers nether regions in the picture <laughs> i see what you did there trying to keep it clean on the instagram because i'm you there know. was a whole pile of junk there that you didn't include it's interesting times it's it's weird that, you know, to be, like you said, like you do this photo of Goliath and there's almost a part of me like, should I be doing that? It's just. Yes, you should. Everyth- yes, you yeah. should. Yes, yeah. you should. Everything coexists. Mm. That's one of the incredible things, you know, that there is always, there are, there are always people acting out of fear and doing depraved things out of fear, out of pain. Right. Um. It happens every, it's happening all the time. But the, and it's actually not that that's wrong. It's the manipulation by our, by our governments of what you're allowed to see and not and what they choose. You know, it's like there are disposable people with disposable pain. Mm. That's the thing. It's what our, you know, our societal parents, which is our political situation, it's what we, 
you know, we discover that a lot of our brothers and sisters don't matter to them or are being used as a buffer against economic, you know, destruction. Because mm. the poverty is out of control. And we were just saying we just want 2020 over with. But, you know, it's just, I feel like this is Don't just Don't you remember when 2018, like everyone was talking about how it was the worst year ever? The mm-hmm. worst year ever. You know? Yeah. Was it 2018? Or 16? Anyway. 16. 16. Um, 16. Yeah, yeah. that'll be right. Um, it is. It's been I think 2021 is going to be incredible. Incredible. And not I'm all not like, obviously, not all happy, happy, but it's going to no. be, talk about keeping it real. Everyone is awake. Yeah. That's what I feel like. There are no more sleepwalking zombies, you know, people mm. who think things are fine. Because they're allowed to, comfortable. Yeah. Financially that, comfortable, maybe even ethnically comfortable, you know? No more. Did you ever think when you were starting out, you've been in the business for a few years, that any of these discussions would be taking place in Hollywood? No. Well, when I started out, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't having those conversations. Um, I remember, um, yeah, I was thinking recently about crack I did. So I was, I just had my baby, so I was like 27, 28. And I remember the encounter that my character has with the Matt Dillon character, the racist cop. And it's a, he, he sexually abuses her in front of her husband. I mean, it's just horrific. And I remember at the time being really concerned that this was hyperbolic, that this was like gratuitously sensational. How could it possibly mm. happen? That's crazy. And I was 27. I'd been to university. Like, I, I consider myself an educated person. Now I work with Kimberly Crenshaw and the African American Policy Forum would say her name, which is specifically unraveling the silence around black women killed by police. Killed by police, not, mm-hmm. you know, sexual abuse, murder. You know, it's all horrific. And so what I mean is, I would, uh, yes, I am stunned. Stunned. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's it's of great importance that people don't just assume this is coming from nowhere. Mm. You know, this isn't just being. You know, this isn't materializing just in order to make a problem. Because I think there is a sense of oh, but come on, like you want to bring that up, like like you're right. like you're bringing in a fart. You know, like it's right. a bad <laughs> smell that if you weren't here, it wouldn't be smelly. You know, mm-hmm. um, but this is the state where I, I, I think we've had too many of things being okay. <laughs> frankly, mm-hmm. no, that's what it is. It's everything. Everyone was comfortable. Really, everyone super comfortable, and also the expectation of happiness and fairness. Mm. What does that even mean? You know, it's just it's crazy. It's we've got to figure out what we can contribute and all of us are going to contribute different things because we all have different skills we all have different we're all different isn't that fucking awesome (laughs) we're all different for a reason because we've got different strengths different skills and of course we're not all in a you know rural (laughs) 
tribal situation where literally you're relying we're relying on each other to survive god i kind of wish we were because then it would just clear away all this too much time thinking man human beings mm. are really we're just oh it's just it's almost like power boredom yeah because comfort actually invites too much thinking about oh i can imagine if some you know there could be things that could threaten this comfort and then you just then it's all this you know building up walls surrounding ourselves and you know i love i guess that's one of the reasons why i love westworld you know mm-hmm. is is that it was one of the first times i'd read material which was kind of posing questions about how we all behave i mean obviously right. just in terms of the value of life and it really of course it feeds into this current moment brilliantly i mean Look, we've had two seasons, three seasons, and we've got into the whole drama of it all, you know, because it mm. is, as Jonah kept telling me, because I'm always, you know, all for the, this is political commentary, <laughs> social commentary. And he's like, Tally, it's entertainment. Just, you know, it's entertainment. <laughs> um, but, you know, the setup at the beginning, and, and I'm sure as, we, as we, can, we continue into the fourth season, we're still looking at that you know, value of life. Mm. That's, the, that's the central premise to the whole thing is if you're if, if, if you're brainwashed to believe that this person in front of you is disposable then you'll treat them as disposable you know if you've been taught to undervalue it sticks did you watch the uh, dnc a lot the what the democratic national convention i saw i saw bits I saw, yeah. I didn't know. Um, I guess I'm in London, so the time zone thing. But right. um, I did see, you know, I saw the greatest hits, Michelle Obama. And oh, seeing that kid and Joe Biden and the stutter. Oh. It's not even, I don't know. And just realizing that the, the current president would mock that child. And his, supporter, and his supporters did. His supporters yes, right. went on yeah. social and we, saw, we saw we saw it happen when he was with the disabled gentleman yeah. and then you know he was commenting on that is but that's 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 a bully's you know that's a, a bully's raison d'etre is to mm. find the weaknesses in people and mock those things but it's because they're afraid of the weakness in themselves yes S- super vulnerable super yeah. vulnerable super scared person threatened threatened deeply deeply yeah and has lost his way Big time. <laughs> yes. Big time. That's a good way of Who am it. I? Yeah. Who am I? It's like all he is is this position that he's, you know, hanging on with his fingernails. That's all he is now. A complete, um, just a sort of a, a manifestation of so much lost <laughs> self-love, you know. Proving himself talk. constantly. And he's gone from what? being grey in the 80s. Literally, I saw the picture, grey in the 80s to orange in the current, you know, it's like, <laughs> like it's a, it's, it's a visual. Yeah. It's visually shocking. It's like he's given himself jaundice. <laughs> you know, like an, an actual illness. So wait, we got to talk about you. We got to talk about Emmy nomination in this weird world. How oh, do you- come on. Meryl <laughs> Streep. How do you celebrate? Fucking Meryl Streep. All I'm going to say, fucking Meryl Streep is like, 
<laughs> she she needs a whole award ceremony just for her. Just like which Meryl Streep movie, which Meryl Streep performances, which 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 Meryl Streep co-star. Which photo- which DOP photograph Meryl Streep most beautifully? Which <laughs> makeup artist? Oh, she's had the same makeup for ages. Yeah. Like, come on. Come on. I just, oh, come on. I don't know. But it is how fucking great. I like it's to be, to be nominated alongside oh, such interesting performances, such wonderful work. Other women being. Although it is a bit, it is a bit dodge that we've got, we've still got a men and women actors thing. It is a bit dodgy. You, you think they should get rid of it? It should be all women. No, no. <laughs> it should be all women. <laughs> no. I mean, male DP. You know, it right. doesn't. I, I just, you don't. And I, it, it's all about. It's the it's the it's the fun of it. It's the it's it's an excuse to love one another and and mm-hmm. and, and 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 appreciate each other's work and also give a lot of people a lot of jobs and stuff. It's cool, you know. Awards is a whole like other industry, isn't it? Um, right, it's a whole. It's, it's a. Relied, it's another season. Of course, it is. It's relied upon. I like. I really. I think my sh- holy shit. The number of people who participate in the Emmys from the food. Right up to the, you know, stylists aren't going to be able to, you know, create and do their work around this time. That's a really, uh, you know, I that I I think about that whenever I think I do about too. the Emmys. I just think about my goodness, there are so many people. I mean, obviously there are so many people involved in every production, but the fact that these awards are productions themselves and yeah, I I I. I I wish, you know, here I am kind of getting to talk to you and, you know, on the night itself, obviously, but, uh, you know, it's getting to still participate. And I don't think any of us can participate without really thinking about all the people, the thousands of people, you know, the people that write about it, you know, on the night and then send it to their editors. They're not going to be able to, you know, it's, it's an acknowledgement that's it's pretty heavy, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't mean to be kind of uh, counter to, to, to the to the to the great. You know, it's all of course it's all great. You know, like the fact that it's still happening at all. But I I really I I feel I just yeah I do want to acknowledge all those people for whom you know it was a big deal for them too. You know, caterers and drivers. You know, it's a busy season and they don't get to do their work. Like fuck. It's a big deal. How do you how do you you know celebrate? But at the same, it's it's a weird time. It's how do you balance that? I guess, or do you just like you said, you have to have joy. I just think having a having a multifaceted reaction, which is you know acknowledging that this is a really it's a moment. The absence of the of the actual awards is incredibly, you know, is really incredibly challenging for so many people because, like I said, it's an industry in itself. Yeah. 
It's yeah. so many people who are not going to be working. All those gig, or just the gig. Caterers, security, yes. so yes. many people. You know, Ugh. stylists and I just. From the Emmys, let's, you know, people like people who are nominated, people who might actually win them. Um all the, the the streaming services and studios that will benefit from from their employees being, you know, lauded with these great honors that maybe there's an opportunity to give and I'm sure this is happening to give back to the people who would have created the ceremony, the the workers. Mm. And you know, I just and I'm sure that there are I should check actually, that would be a good thing for me to do to see whether there are um any kind of um, plans to 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 compensate, or at least to just check in with people who who are really relied on to make these events special, who aren't able to do mm. it this year. You know. Um, Would you? Are you? It's not, I, I, what I mean is, it's not enough for me to just talk about it. I, I should find right. out. <laughs> um. Would you, I know they're putting feelers out for people asking uh, to nominees if they would pre-record their acceptance speech. I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I just, I, yeah, it's surreal. That's, I, I just think, I don't think it's going to happen. I just think. Really? Yeah, I just no, think it, right, 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 right. I, I, I mean, I, I, I would just talk about how amazing Meryl Streep is. <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't believe I'm nominated alongside Meryl Streep. Right. I would just talk about the reality of, of it. I wouldn't talk, like, because you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't pretend. No. Although that would be quite funny, wouldn't it? Well, the problem to is that... To fake it, on, like, to fake it, but obviously. But the problem is if... The people who don't fake it and give these sincere pre-recorded acceptance speeches, if those get leaked. They should they should all be shown. Yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> no, I you think that what? should You're be a right. thing. It'd be fucking hilarious. Let's entertain each other. Good yeah, let's what? have a That's whole a... the fucking week. Oh, oh my god. And you have oh, this is so good. Get ready. So everyone has to agree that their pre-recorded speeches will be shown, right? And you can only watch them if you pay $5. And that $5 will go to a fund for people who don't get to work on the Emmys when they would have normally worked. That's a really good idea. I know. <laughs> it is good, right? We could, what should we call it? The Newton Fund? <laughs> no, 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 no. The Goliath <laughs> Fund. <laughs> My friend is really going to love that you're in. You're, you're, you're Goliath's Goliath's Ghoulie Fund. Because we never knew. We never saw the ghoulies. Now it sounds like it's a fun to see his ghoulies. Oh, it's his. We do know it's a he. Okay. You did oh, say it was a he, but I'm like, no, oh, come on. Evidence, please. <laughs> um, okay. Where, so I, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a really I'm great sure. idea. That we will show, but of course nobody wants to. I think that'll be You're, fucking hilarious. Of course that'll yeah, be hilarious. See, People trying. You would to, do it. No. You would do it. You'd have fun, Matt. But think about all those other people in Hollywood who are just too concerned. But if, but but if it's if it's in the if they're told, yes, that, 
it would be you know in in the spirit of 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 comedy and of irony and just of just embracing the surreality of this moment and that it could possibly benefit people i think it would be very hard to actually get people to pay to watch because once one person's got it it's it's open season isn't it yeah yeah you're right it, right. it would have to benefit people um you know i don't know yeah if i had to pre-record something it would just it it, it would it wouldn't be it wouldn't About, be the fake thing right so that's the season four when do, would you even go back into production what happens sometime next year if 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 we manage to get through the winter without you know a real crisis which right. is anyone's guess um as the seasons change um obviously any any illness any bug you know has its heyday when right. people go indoors and put the heating up you know um so it's not a, I, I don't think it's a given but uh mm. It's it, it certainly me personally. It's been, whew, it, it's, uh, it's a real light at the end of a tunnel. If we can get there to a place mm. where that massive production can actually shoot, yeah. that's because it's it's last last year was only eight, last season was eight episodes, but it's eight movies, Mark. Honest to God, I've ma- I've been making movies, right. you know, most of my life, and. I'm telling you, Westworld, each episode is a film. The scale, the ambition, uh, the writing, the length of, of the episode, you know, it's... So to try and... I don't know whether it's going to compromise them, whether they're going to actually... Tr- whether they're going to change anything right. because of it. I, I think they might. The storyline might change. I know nothing about what's happening. Um, uh, yeah, but... If we can, if we can get to make this show um, in the fourth season, I, I hope because we've been we've been we've been shooting for now for six years, seven years. Wow! So you know, a lot of life is in in what we do, and I can't imagine there'll be a qualitative difference to the season because of what everyone's been through. Mm. You know. Well, the um, other thing that what I keep saying is even when productions start up, and some productions are starting up now, <clears throat> one, if it's a contemporary story, do you incorporate COVID? Two, yes. if, you don't, if you don't incorporate COVID and me as an audience is watching it, if we see two people kiss, it's going to feel, it's going to be strange. Absolutely. Even if we know that they practiced, you know, some kind of social distancing quarantine for two mm-hmm. weeks, you can never watch it without going. <gasps> yeah, and it's real. I think it's going to change storytelling that way. You know, airport, public, public spaces, any kind of densely populated spaces. Yeah. Um, it'll, it, it, yeah, it might seem kind of, it might almost seem irresponsible yeah. to portray environments which aren't being mindful of, of right. it. But I get you know because. I, I'm trying to remember whether at the beginning of season, th- well, yeah, season three, one of its kind of devices was this kind of uh, dial that they mm-hmm. showed, showing yep. different like spikes in what's going on around the world. Right. I think one of them, I'm wondering whether any of them were a pandemic because it was really clever on, you know, mm-hmm. what might, you know, happen in the world. I don't know whether they'll include it. There's every, there's every 
possibility. Um, I mean, I know they research really, really well. So if they felt that it was something that was, and, and you know, people have been talking, Bill Gates has been talking about, you know, serious right. pandemics for a long time. Yeah. You know? And he's an expert in, in, in global disease. So I, I would have thought that if, if Westworld had thought that it was something that, that was going to be um, valuable for how they wanted to project us into the future, they would have included it. So I don't know. I really don't know. I'm fascinated to find out, though. <laughs> when did you find out that Dolores would be bye-bye? Oh, um, and how are you told? Wow, that's a, I'm trying to remember. Um, it was, it was a way into the, into the season. Mm. Because wow. I think it was partly to do with denial because it's like, well, yeah, but she's still going to be there. <laughs> yeah, still, Evan's still going to be there. <laughs> Character, yeah, um, as an entity. Mm. I think I knew about that midway through, midway through the shoot. I can't. I'm, I'm afraid I can't remember exactly when. Um, Were you surprised? No, I certainly no. hadn't anticipated it. But I don't. Mm. I don't. I'm so. Look, it's the same as like. I don't. I don't know how to play sports. I can't remember like games. I'm all about the moment. Mm. Really good on like instinct, instinctive stuff. Okay. Like fighting, you know, because you just <laughs> got to just do what you got to do, right? right. Um, so I'm good at games where it's really limited, limited like uh, rules. Okay. And once you've got those, you're all out. But like piano, any 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 kind of sport or instruments. I just. I get, or even cooking. Like if it's a really, I'm good, like everything in one pot, leave it. And I'm a bit like that with Westworld. I don't really want to know details. First of all, I'll forget. If they're not to do with me, I will forget what they are. Mm. So, and I just kind of, I don't need to know. It's really strange. In, in life, I have to know. Mm. If I feel like there's something hidden from me, oh my shitballs, I, I, I just can't stop. I, you know, I'm like Goliath with a bone, right? I would be like in there. Or Goliath with, you know, another another butthole. <laughs> All right, my love. Um, oh, this is the funniest thing, okay? Talking to Mark. <laughs> just <Hello. laughs> my husband. How are you? This is just mm-hmm. a tiny thing. Nice to meet so you. um <laughs> so our daughter, Nico, who's fifteen. She was in Dumbo. She played the lead right. in Dumbo. Of course. And, uh, and one of the gifts that the, the production gave her was a cute plushy toy of Dumbo. Just the classic old Disney Dumbo. Right. And Nico has a multi-poo, which is a Maltese and a poodle crossed, which mm-hmm. is it's, it's awful that we succumbed to that, but we did. Mm-hmm. We let her get her little, you know, teacup dog. Anyway, it's been three years since Dumbo. Two yeah. years? Two years. I, I, the multi-poo dog, which is a girl, fucks Dumbo in the face about four times a day. Yeah, and all night. And all night! Like last night, literally, Nico wasn't home. So when Nico's not home, the dog scratches on our door. So, oh, bless his fucking heart. 
went and slept in the spare bedroom because he knew the dogs would sleep with him and on keep. The and on the pillow next to his face. <laughs> fucking the dog. Fucking the, the, the other. Hazel was fucking Dumbo. Hazel. All night. Hazel. All, right, <laughs> All Hazel. night. <laughs> and I, the number of times I've wanted to take a photo, or a, actually, no, a movie, of Hazel fucking Dumbo's head, right? <laughs> and just put it on Instagram, like, look, you know, this is this is how our family, like, celebrate. Anyway, sorry. Um, I don't even know why that came up. Why did it come up? What were we talking no about? No idea. I really, literally, we were talking about been, nothing to do with I mean, it could have been anything. <laughs> it was nothing to do with Dumbo, was it? No. Nope. It no. I don't know. No. Um, no. What do, you, what do you want to see for Maeve in season four? Or you just don't know. You just, oh. like you said. No, 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 no. Wait a second. <laughs> oh. Okay, no, this is, it, it's, this is me being more sincere, serious. Actually, no, I was sincere about Dumbo as well. Because um, it is, you should see it. Um, so, <laughs> but also she, she does it like a, like a male. She's a female dog, right? I mean, I'm sorry, but like, but it's just really she? interesting to me. Uh, anyway, she? okay. So what, <laughs> what I want to see for Maeve, no, truly I do, because and I don't. I haven't talked to, to Jonah and Lisa. I was about to say Gina and Losa, which makes sense because they're just kind of one. Um, so um, I haven't talked to them about this, but what we saw in the first season was this incredible leap into her own agency. And once she was there, establish and establishing that her agency came from knowing the truth mm-hmm. and understanding that she had been betrayed. Um, Lies had been, she, her whole existence was based on her accepting a lie of who she was. And it was just a me- fucking hell. It was incredible seeing this character and what happens when truth empowers you. Just that. And it meant everything to me. So, second season, we see her going back into Westworld because she wants to make the betrayal, she wants to kind of, as a finger up to her creators mm. who, who enjoy telling her that your daughter isn't really your daughter. It was all a, you know, it was all a lie. So she's like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm going to take this one step further and make it into a truth. I'm going to make it into a truth. So she goes back and she, she, uh, she it ensures that her daughter is free in this, you know, uh, robot afterlife. And then in the third season, she's drawn back in and you see her right at the get-go unraveling the mystery straight away. Like, this is all bullshit. She sniffs out the bullshit. She gets it. I love this episode two was killer. And then from then on, she's being bribed, basically, by Vincent Cassell's character, Vincent Cassell. I mean, how happy was I when I found out he was going to be in the show? Fucking awesome. It was so, like, the, the pe- people we had this season... The new actors were amazing. Anyway. Um, and then she basically is kind of, it, it, it's, it's this forced majeure. She doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to be animated. She can give a fuck. Fuck you. It's a bit like, it's the character in Crash that I played who said, 
to the Matt Dillon character, you're not going to save me. You don't get to save me. You're a motherfucker. I would rather die mm-hmm. in this car than have your racists raping ass save me. That's Maeve to the power of 100, you know, except if she was in that character's position, she would have come alive again after being burnt to death in the car. Dope. So that's like, that's the evolution of the people that I play, motherfucker. Right. So not you. You're, you're not the motherfucker. Yeah, no, I, know. Um, I know you know that. Um, so I want, I, I just, I'm interested in, in, in Maeve's agency. I'm interested in what makes Maeve want to actually exist. Mm-hmm. She has no, she doesn't want to be animated in any way. Would she like to go into the afterlife with her daughter? Not necessarily. It's not really her mm. daughter, but she, it's cool that, you know, she's released her. Maeve has no purpose anymore. Mm. Because, because she was created by humans for whom she has no real love. Um, so, and yet she's an incredibly important character. And I suppose in many ways it's like, okay, audience... And, and, and creators of the show, if you had a Maeve that was somewhere out there, what would you use her for? She's the most powerful robot. She's incredibly intelligent. Uh, there, was the, there was the Rehoboam, the, the thing that, that Vincent Cassell's character and his brother had created, which was going to, you know, and it did for a time. It, 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 it kind of created this equilibrium in the world where everyone was taken care of. But then in the third season, we discover that the way they do that is by taking away all the, the delicious people, all the, mm. all the you know, um, indigo children, all the people mm. that, that, that don't go by the rules. They're actually, actually, the people that make life interesting, right? Right. They're the people that they put in these, you know, weird troughs or like, coffins and i i don't know i don't know what's going to happen there is she going to become their leader the outliers but it's like for what purpose she doesn't any it's almost like any creature or any computer looking at humanity what would they prescribe for humanity what do you think mark like would they just say well but, Maybe, but like, humanity needs to be wiped out and we need to give the, the, the crown to, I don't know, chimpanzees or octopi. But what, is, sick- what, is, what is the species? Well, the truth is no one species should have all the power. And that's the problem. We should be living in, in, in harmony with every living thing. And sometimes harmony, you know, there are arguments, there are challenges, mm-hmm. of course, because there's not room right. for everybody. So that, that, so I guess I'm, what I'm saying is, in the, fu- the future of humanity, what could Maeve's purpose be? You know? well, what it, my question, though, is if you're saying you're trying to, if, she, if Maeve doesn't have a purpose, what keeps you as an actor, what's, how, do you, how, how, are you, how do you portray pur- purposeful Listness. Purposefulness. <laughs> or purposefulness. Purposefulness, right. Like, yeah. not Purposeness. Purposelessness. <laughs> okay, how do you portray yeah. purposelessness? Um, well, I mean, I did it in... Well, yeah, I kind of did it in season three, and there is ob- there's obviously a, a... You know, Maeve is definitely hooked back in. Okay, baby. 
All right, my love. Uh, Maeve is obviously hooked back in when uh, it looks like Dolores actually isn't like motivated by evil mm -hmm. and 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 revenge. Evil's not right. Isn't motivated motivated by revenge. So that kept her going. So she had purpose then. You know. Yeah, I don't know, but I definitely I know I won't be playing purpose purposelessness. There's definitely going to be a purpose. <laughs> I just I just don't know what it is yet. And I the fact that after all these years and all these seasons, I don't have a I don't know where it could go. Isn't that so cool? Like that's what this this. This show is very... Um, but that's what keeps it interesting because as soon yeah. as it's become predictable, no one's tuning in. And also they don't do... that. They certainly don't, like, respond to fan, uh, like, fan desire. Right. What they would like... Because actually, I think what they dis what's cooler is when you're given something that you don't want, but then you it kind of opens up your... It, it 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 opens up the uh, the world of what you're interested in. Mm. You know, and I think that's that's really that's really cool. Like I didn't even like I didn't even like sci-fi, and I certainly didn't think I liked westerns before Westworld. So I'm I'm wow. the same. I thought that's westerns were just like you know John Wayne. So how like were the, you the, the beginning of of you know white supremacy? Not the beginning, so but like the kind of. The, right. the fa famous white supremacists on horses, Jesus. So what? So what convinced you to do it? If this is a genre where you're like, nah, nope, I don't want that. I don't want that. Well, I watched a bit of, you know, S S Sergio Leone. What's it? That famous one. I know what you're Ser Sergio Leone. Oh God, I'm sounding like a complete idiot. <laughs> no, I did. I watched some of that. It's like, oh, okay. Not, and there's also a lot, you know, diversity here too. Mm -hmm. Brilliant stuff. So epic. Amazing. So into Westerns because it's the mythology. It's not, it's not about, I just thought it was a lot of cowboys and Indians, which is reprehensible. Um, and, uh, and then sci-fi, I realized I did. I mean, I named my daughter Ripley after Sigourney Weaver's character in Aliens. <laughs> you know, I, so I guess I just thought. So I obviously like you do so. like sci-fi. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was about her character, and it character, was about the fact right. that there I was thinking I didn't really go for sci-fi. Like I don't, I wouldn't run up runs for the new Star Trek movie, or I just didn't. Hello, Star Wars. Well, that's since that's since I've, that's <laughs> since I've become a devotee. And also, come on, Harrison Ford. I did love that movie too. So actually, it turns out I do like sci-fi. I just didn't. I just don't like the kind of. I guess I don't like the sci-fi that's. Like the fast food sci-fi, right? Every great genre has its like imitators. You said it earlier, like you would probably say it anyway, and which takes me to your New York Magazine story, which was like Bravo. You speak the truth. You speak the truth. He's a very good journalist, Alex. Oh, fantastic! Because he had done his research. He asked me questions, yeah. and I could, with the knowledge of 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 what the answer might be. When the same, I've maybe said the same thing. He was the first journalist to say, you've said that many, many times and no one's kind of responded. Right. And so he asked the following question, you know, which meant everything. Um, 
Were you surprised the attention the interview got? I was surprised by the appreciation it got. I thought that I would be in trouble because mm. that's kind of what I'm used to. But see, I didn't. I the, it was it spoke to the time. You can't. You I yes, don't. Absolutely. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I think you speak truth to power now. You don't mm. get in trouble for it. At least in Hollywood, I think. Yes, except I think here's, here's what makes it different for me. I'm not even supposed to be viable anymore. You know, I'm a, I'm a black woman, to use the, you know, conventional stereotype. I'm a black woman. I'm a 47-year-old black woman. I shouldn't even mm. be able to get a role. It's very unusual to, as a mm. woman of my age to, you know. And what it does... It's like I feel like I've been in three generations of film and that's not, that's not what usually happens. There's such a quick turnover that mm. people don't have the... People aren't famous enough to reveal things and have people listen. Because, and once someone drops out of their fame, people aren't going to pay attention. They're not going to listen. So I'm right. some, I feel like in a way, at the point when a lot of people drop out, I had this... Westworld gave me another opportunity which kept me I guess still relevant and current and I just happened to be an older woman who is just who has recognized that knowing the truth and speaking the truth has benefited me a hell of a lot more than being silenced or seeing people silenced around me and I have nothing to lose I have nothing to lose because I could just then you know not get hired which is kind of normal for people in my generation anyway interesting so I've so, got nothing to lose. And I would rather go out using this moment to just come, you know, just, just, just kind of, just, not, it's not about my confession, is it? It's not even about my confessions. It's about, this is the reality of, of what people face. And this is, if right. you ask me what the things that, that, that made a big difference, oh my God, my, the rustling on my thing. When people, you know, ask about what what were the key things that 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 made a difference in your career, or those are the things I said. The things they were the key yeah. things. There's more, which didn't get in the article, but you know. And I don't have. It's not my shame. It's not my no, shame. No, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be your shame. You know, and it was for a long time, and mm. it, it 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 was uh, hard. And it was compounded by being in the same industry, which had unfortunately led to being sexually abused as a kid. Um, and I think it's really valuable. Even if you have been sexually abused, you can, you can come through it. Oh, yes. You can come through it. I mean, so many people are sexually abused. Three and five my, my, women. I don't yeah. even know about women mm. I think the men, the number of men abused is so high is so high and I long for the moment when we can embrace the the men who have these broken boys inside them I I mean I feel I'm there I'm there my now. husband right and then my now. husband um when the when the Kavanaugh hearings were going on my husband came out as a sexual abuse survivor Aww. you know he went public with it and not just once twice maybe three oh, times and you know like what's amazing is you take that 
And it makes you stronger. It's not saying yes, no one does. wishes it on anyone, but if I survive this, you know, I'm a recovering addict. I'm sober. If I survive that, Woo! I'm going to survive all that other stuff. Fuck yeah, babe. Yeah, you can. Fuck yeah. And being truthful about it, I'm very out about it. I'm mm-hmm. an addict, recovery, I'm HIV positive, and I've put it out there for the world to know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. no one could ever ever try to hold that against me fuck and you know what you don't have to make any you don't have to ever explain how you get through your process of healing no you know that is your process but you cannot be silenced Mm. you can't be silent because that's it's 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 it adds it compounds the pain and the injury and it's something that we do to ourselves you know to actually be abused and then in some ways the abuse the abuser, you then inherit the ability to continue the abuse, either through silence or self-destruction. And, you know, I would really love to try and help people interrupt that cycle, Mm. you know. And the only way you can interrupt it is by throwing some fucking truth at it. Did you You ever think you'd be able to heal? It's, it's, it's part of me. It's very much part of me. Mm. And I think that most people have pain that they try and hide away, mm. you know. But um, the only way I healed was by being with people who understood. And how the hell are people going to understand if they don't even know? Right. The only people who can teach others the pain of abuse are the, are the people who've been abused. Yes, for sure. We, we become teachers, which is essential mm-hmm. because you also want to try and prevent. Well, I mean, how much part of healing, at least for me, um, my healing has to do with I'm not the only one. Of course. How absolutely. many times are people sitting there saying they're the only one, no one absolutely. will ever be able to get me? And abusers rely on silence. Yeah. And keeping the abused away from anyone that is potentially going to liberate them. You know? Mm. I mean, I know that. Yeah. I mean, how much did I mean, I'm, I'm imagining how many actors, actresses did you hear from after that story came out? Saying I went through similar stuff. No, it wasn't. It wasn't so much. No, it was wasn't so much that. It was. It was gratitude for. For, not. Drinking the Kool Aid and and staying quiet around. The. Uh, epidemic of of mistreatment, and the the, the, the abuse of power in our industry. Mm. You know. Because it might not be sexual abuse, but, you know, that you experience. But the leverage, the... If you think about how much in our industry, how desperate people are to get that first gig, they'll do anything. They'll do it for free. That's why Time's Up is a really important part of, you know, the progress. Because it's, 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 it's forcing equal equal wages you know and that that's that's incredibly important you want to Mm. empower people so that they're not willing to engage in 
in, in practices just to get, as an equivalent to money, basically, right. as an, or as an equivalent to, to their skills. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. It's gross. And it's in every industry. Let's face yeah. it. Sports, music. Everything. Everything. Really everything. If you are, it depends. If you're, if you're low in the pecking order, you are vulnerable to abuse. Of course you are. Because other people who are above you were lower in the pecking order before and they got abused. So it kind of, mm. you know what I mean? It's just like this cycle of abuse. Yeah. Like it's almost like it's just part of how you get to the top. Did you ever hear from Amy or Tom after that story came out? Who? For Amy Pascal or Tom Cruise? I, I don't want to comment on that. Um, just, it was, I, I, I felt, I felt solid the whole time, but I know that it made people frightened. Individuals were very frightened. And it was at at, at, at what might, you know, what might happen. And that was hard. It was really, really hard. It was really hard to, to be the, the cause but I, you know, it's like how far back do you go? I wasn't the cause of pain because I was recounting something that had caused me pain. You know? Right. But I wanted it to end. 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 And every time. Casual racism. There is no place for casual racism. No, every. You know, it, 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 it's a symptom of, 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 uh, of systemic racism. And we've got to weed it out. We've got to get rid of it. Mm. You know. Are you hopeful? I don't, I don't wish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When I look at the next generation, when I look at my teenage daughters who, <sighs> they don't even care about whether they're black or whatever. Mm. I mean, they could come to care. That's the trouble, right? Mm, they could come to care. They'd have to. It's such an imposition. I've had to learn about racism. It's not something that's not natural. It's not, it's not something that you just like wake up and you're like, oh yeah, of course. You have to learn about it. It makes no fucking sense. It's got no, it's got no basis in, in any kind of science, or it's a complete hangover from colonialism as a way of keeping, you know, two types of people as far apart from each other, and and justifying treating the people with darker skin like fucking uh, raging animals that need to be, you know, controlled and and and, and beaten and destroyed and ugh. It, but, you know, it's a reality. I, I've spent fucking, you know, half my adult life learning about it. What an mm. imposition. What a fucking imposition. I could have been thinking sure. about other things, other valuable things. It's what Tony Morrison said. Actually, let me get this quote. Yeah, get the quote. It's a, it's a really good one. Oh, shit, am I going to be able to even find it? And then I'm going to have to go because my husband's cross. He's yes, of made course, food. of course. He's, he's made food. And... <laughs> there we go. It's a Tony Morrison quote. In a Gloria Steinem book, listen to me. I, I had a, I had the incredible privilege of speaking to Gloria Steinem recently, and this is her most recent book. So I read it before we chatted. The function, the very serious function of racism, is distraction. Mm. It's true. It's not the point. They are mm. hate crimes, and they are. We are all human beings. 
Mm. And it makes it makes the the sh you know shooting J Jacob his Jacob Blake in the spine mm. even more appalling than it is. Before we go, I just want to ask you one fun question, and then you're going to go eat with your hubby. Um, what was the first audition you ever went on? I didn't know how to act. I was <laughs> I literally. I was you know if I I was a dancer. I shouldn't even have been there. So why were you there? Because I was the only black girl in my school and wow. the casting director had, you know, she was looking everywhere because they were having problems trying to find a, a, a young black actress. And mm. they, they, um, so I went along and they were willing to pay for me and my, my, one of my teachers to, to, to go up to London for the day because I was at a school in, in the countryside in England. And, um, I remember reading the scene and, and being very theatrical because I just thought that's what acting was. <laughs> and the director uh, gave me, he said it was terrible, but I didn't care about that either because I'd never acted before. So I was, I was very unfussed, very relaxed because I just thought it was an opportunity to have a day out. I didn't think I would get the role because I wasn't an actress. And because and the teachers had said, don't say that you don't study drama, just go and have a nice day. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and then he said, no, you, you know, try and make me, try and convince me that what you're saying is, is occurring to you for the first time. And I remember mm -hmm. saying to him, oh, so you want me to lie? And he said, yeah, I guess. And he gave me a few minutes and I did it again. And I guess I just transformed into someone. It just made sense. It's like make-believe. It's, it's what you do with kids. It's playing. Wow. And you knew right there. Yeah. And then did you know right there acting was for you or it took you a while? Um, no, I did the, I did the screen test a little mm -hmm. while after that. And I liked that a lot, all the, all the technical stuff, the cameras and the, and then, you know, doing the movie, I was really good at it. I, I enjoyed it. I was, I was really, really good at, at acting. But it's so nice to speak to you, honey. Same here. All the best. Stay I'm sure safe. I'll see you again. You're amazing. Be well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, honey. Bye. Bye, doll. That was Tandy Newton, and that's it for today's Big Ticket. Coming up tomorrow, the very funny and three-time Emmy nominee Maya Rudolph and Normal People star and first-time nominee Paul Meskel. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe. Be well and keep wearing those masks. See you tomorrow.